the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed in the program are not necessarily those of this radio station or its sponsors and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. You should always consult the appropriate advisor before making any financial decision. All rights reserved. Now, new focus on wealth with certified financial planner Chad Burton. Drawing from his 28-year background in finance and investing to help you make sense of your money matters. New focus on wealth. Get a new focus on personal finance, wealth management, Wall Street, and the economy. Now your host for New Focus on Wealth, Chad Burton. Welcome into the show. I'm your host, Chad Burton, Certified Financial Planner. Let's start the show off today, recording this January 10th, 2024, on what are some of the 2024 themes that we're thinking about? We're, it's it's always interesting to document what you know people are thinking about the stock market and the economy in the beginning of the year. In 2023, everybody expected a recession to hit. That's because in 2022, they expected the recession. The market dropped as a result of the Fed starting to raise rates. But we still haven't had that recession, right? So what are the 2024 themes? Well, obviously, we have wacky elections. It just... I feel like I'm watching a bad movie when I see <laughs> our choices that we have to vote for right now. It's just, you know, it's just not real people and real people don't want to run because of the spotlight that they get put under. Um, so we have wacky elections that are going on about what happens in November can drive a lot of changes that might occur in taxes and other items in 2026, for example. So we have a lot of issues to deal with when it comes to the elections the overall theme, though, is that the Feds have likely engineered a soft landing. They raised rates a lot. Typically, the economy breaks. The all that broke was the regional bank issue that we had earlier in 2023, and that we we moved right past that. There's the idea that a lot of commercial buildings are going to have to be refinanced at much higher rates. That's coming up in the next couple of quarters. Yet, people realize that if regional banks and other banks don't want to do that, there's a ton of private and direct lending available for them to do that out there. So. The, the, the fear of office real estate has started to calm a little bit of, as people have returned to work, although the five-day work week's dead, right? Most people aren't going into the office five days in a row. Um, even, okay, even Dr. Doom, there's a story rolling around financial media today, Noriel Rubini, Dr. Doom, typically pessimistic outlook presents a cautiously optimistic view on the global economy's directly, trajectory. Okay, there's two people, Dr. Doom and Harry Denton Jr., two people's names that when I hear them, I just groan because of how wrong they are, yet they still get so much financial media. Um, Harry Denton Jr. especially has been calling for this giant decline for years and years. And look, the market is positive 74% of the time. And even with you know the Great Recession and tech correction and everything else we've had in the last couple of decades, positive 74% of the time, the S&P 500 has averaged over 11% total return with dividends reinvested over that period of time, even with those negative market years of a year like 08 when it was down a lot. So these guys just wait like a clock to eventually be right. And even then they're kind of wrong in terms of what you do. So 
that is the overall idea though, that even so many people now are calling for that soft landing. And I will say that when everybody's calling for the same thing, I look at, okay, what are we not thinking about here? And usually the big declines that you see that, that last, uh, you know, three months to a year and are tough to get through are usually black swan events, events that we're not talking about. So they, they can happen. You always have to be ready to that as an investor. And when they do, that's a great buying opportunity for the next decade. The the other theme that was really rolling in financial media yesterday, you got the soft landing and everybody agreeing that that's looking like the basic scenario, mild recession slash soft landing in 2024, is the 10-year bond overvalued. The 10-year U.S. Treasury bond hit almost 5% October 19th of 2023, and it's now at 3.88%. So in the 30 years that I've been doing this, 2023 was insane in terms of movements from the bottom to 5% back down to 3.88% in the bond market. It is a ton of volatility. You don't see that in the bond market typically. Um, But a lot of people piled into bonds in October assuming that the feds are going to drop rates by four to uh, drop rates four to five times throughout 2024 to speed the economy back up because of the slowdowns that are occurring as they're because of last year's rate increases. Did the feds go too far or did they do it just right? So a lot of people are talking about, okay, the 3.88% is too low. People piled into the 10 year treasury that put the price up and interest rates down essentially. And um, so rates may need to adjust back upwards a little bit because now as we get some job numbers out and other in information, we may not get those four to five rate drops. I think that we maybe overshot that a little bit because um, besides food inflation at the grocery store hitting a lot of families directly, overall economy is still doing pretty well. Um, and, and again, there's the haves and the have-nots. I get that point of it. Um, you know, Growing up, with a single mom and dealing with that as a kid all my life, I I completely understand that. But in terms of business profitability, dealing with wage inflation, um, uh, you know, what's in the pipeline, businesses are doing pretty well. Now, earnings start this week. So we'll we'll see a little bit more of that. What's real. Now, we still have an inverted yield curve. The two-year treasury is paying 4.23% when the 10 years around 3.88 when I woke up this morning. So that's an inverted yield curve. Um, so we still haven't had, and that's been inverted for a while. So we still haven't had the recession that tends to follow those. And we may just get a mild one. Who knows? Um, in terms of asset allocation themes, when we look at, um, I, I, as you all know, I love to watch FactSet Earnings Insights. So if you just Google FactSet Earnings Insight every Friday during earnings season. So they started on January 5th. And every Friday, they update metrics on what's going on based on what's been reported. So for 2023, the estimated year-over-year earnings growth rate for the S&P 500 is 1.3%. You're thinking, oh my gosh, the S&P 500 was up double digits last year, but earnings growth is only 1.3%. Most of the return last year was recovery of tech stocks that sold off too much in 2022, okay? Valuations are not super cheap right now. When you look at the S&P 500, it's trading at 19.2 is the 12-month uh, forward-looking P/E ratio for the S&P 500. That's above the five-year average of 18.9 and above the 10-year average of 17.6. So the price-to-earnings ratio, when that number is low, it means the market's cheaper. Now, the S&P 500 is not necessarily the best index anymore to look at that because 
The SP 500 is the largest 500 companies in America. But as I've said over and over on many podcasts lately, it's looking more like the, the NASDAQ, very tech heavy, um, the most concentrated I've seen it, even though the change in, in the SP 500 since 2011 is quite drastic. It's, it's really the magnificent seven, right? It's, it's tech driven. So if you look at the overall market, see the equal weighted SP 500 index, the, the, the valuations are a little bit more attractive and reasonable. Other themes for 2024, value over growth, right? We started to see value and small cap start to catch up in that year-end rally that we had. But look, the typical growth ETF, exchange-traded fund or mutual fund, was up around 46% last year. Typical value ETF or, or mutual fund was up 9 to 10% return last year. Still a great return. But people looked at that and they had FOMO. Oh, I should have been more invested in growth. Let's go back two years. Let's go back to January of 2022. That most value ETFs or, or value-based mutual funds up 7% over that total return over the two-year period. And most growth is flat to slightly negative. So values actually outperformed growth already over two years, just not last year. But still more attractive on the price-to-earnings ratio and a couple other items. Now, PE ratios are tricky, guys, because price-to-earnings... Just because a PE is low on a stock, it could be a value trap, meaning that company's never going to recover and grow their earnings again. I like more you know, growth at a reasonable price, and I love dividends, especially increasing dividends. Right, That's a great way to invest over a long period of time. Other theme for 2024, small over large. Small caps over large cap. Uh, especially on the small cap value side, which when you look at a lot of, a lot of small cap value funds, um, you got to be careful. Some are very heavy in financials. And so keep that in mind. Uh, still looking, and that's really just because this has been one of the longest runs where large cap has outperformed small cap. And so valuations are looking more attractive in certain areas of small cap. And they were held down and beaten down because smaller companies are more sensitive to higher interest rates where it hits their bottom line, the more that they're paying on loans to borrow money for capital goods, capital equipment, buying other companies, things like that. Um, same thing with, oh, it's still looking for potential overseas, right? International developed last year, had a great year. Emerging markets up, what, around 9% or so last I looked. Um, fundamentally, when you look at price earnings ratios, overseas still look more attractive than the US in terms of, but there's no catalyst, right? You got two wars going on. But most investment advisors are looking up for opportunities to go back eventually overweighting in, in those areas versus being underweight. Um, REITs potentially being attractive is a theme lately. Everybody thinks about the office situation where downtown San Francisco, downtown Portland, Oregon, downtown Houston, downtown Chicago, downtown Oakland, where some of these buildings, there's nobody wants to be there. Yet around those areas and suburbs, office is actually doing pretty well. In fact, if you take office out of the ex equation, I've heard that uh, a lot of REITs have uh, occupancy rates at 40-year highs. Yet, if we look at REITs, real estate investment trusts, these are ETFs or funds that hold publicly traded REITs. Most of them are, most of them are down 16 to 17% since January 2022. They had a big rally at the end of the year. and. And but even over a three-year period, they've significantly underperformed the S&P 500. So people are thinking, okay, rates have stopped increasing. That's good for REITs. Probably could go down. That's good for REITs. We just have to get through this refinance issue over the next couple of quarters and see how much of this these buildings and other. When you own a commercial property, you're typically 
your rates are typically locked every five to 10 years. So you're always having to refinance. And a lot of people are going to have to refinance their commercial properties at a higher interest rate. And that could hit some profits. Uh, but so far, that a lot of that could be baked in. So that's something that you think about. This is why the, that value over growth story is really important. When you focus on one type of investing in your portfolio, like growth or value, rather than instead of owning both, you end up with more volatility, right? And you can have two different portfolios that have the same average annual rate of return over a 10 or 15 year period, but the one that had less volatility could result in more money at the end of the time. Because the difference between your total return over that period of time and your average annual return, very different. Geometric mean, if you want to study the math around it, it's actually, in my opinion, pretty fascinating. But the idea of asset allocation investing is, asset allocation doesn't mean you're going to outperform the market this year if you have the right asset class. No, you're you're going for five and 10-year returns. How do I keep up with the market in the good years and outperform in the bad is a better approach, especially as you're going into retirement. That's why you have to have the diversification, not only in asset classes, large cap, small cap, mid cap, international emerging markets, uh, bonds and the different types of bonds, but also in the style, value versus growth. The overall theme though, 2024, 60, 40, still quite attractive for retirees where you have your you know three years worth of portfolio draws set aside in cash. A very common portfolio is 60% stocks, 40% bonds. Now, I will say when I got into the business 40 or almost 30 years ago, it was more 40% stocks, 60% bonds. And now that's switched because bond rates are still lower than when I got into the business. But bonds can offer a pretty decent total return if rates go down. Rates are back up to where we were in the kind of 2005, 2006 era. And if rates go down, bond values can increase. So that's a call for a good total return in bonds. So 60-40, definitely still attractive for retirees. I like for retirees with more than 2 million, which you kind of have to have to retire these days, more of a 55% stock, 5% alternatives, 40% bonds allocation. 5% alternatives means things like private equity, uh, um, private credit, direct lending, private real estate, those types of things that I think should be added into a portfolio for for the wealthier people. Say hello to a pass that gives you endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. You might call it the suitcases always packed pass or the wait, I get to choose from 100,000 trips pass. The will it be the beach, city, mountains, or all three pass. Or you could just call it what we call it, the Inspirato Pass. Endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. Learn more at inspiratopass.com. Uh, so I already mentioned the earnings growth expectations for the S&P 500. Right now, according to FactSet Earnings Insight, uh, the forward 12-month PE ratio for the S&P 500 is 19.2. So not cheap by any means. The PE ratio is above the five-year average of 18.9 and above the 10-year average of 17.6. Uh, when you look at the S&P 500, it's very growth-oriented, as I've gone over over the last several podcasts. It's become closer looking um, to the NASDAQ. A lot of tech companies in the top. You, know, you get that magnificent seven push. Uh, so the overall themes for 2024 is, is kind of the melt-up of other assets that in a 12-month perspective didn't keep up with growth, right? So... The idea is value over growth. So there's growth investing when you're buying companies, not necessarily based on the PE ratio, but more of their revenue growth and and how they're changing the world, right? AI, for example. Value, you're buying stocks because 
And maybe they're overly beaten up. Maybe it's a turnaround story. They got low price earnings ratio, price to sales, price to book, whatever it may be. But there's there's hope in the future. You don't want to be in a value trap, right? Where it's a low PE ratio for a reason. But trying to find uncovered gems that you believe are undervalued now, but could could do well over a five-year period. So it's a little less exciting, a little less volatile. Um, the typical growth ETF, like a VUG, for example, was up 46% or more last year. Well, value is up only 9 to 10%. And I say only 9 to 10%, that's a great return. That all came in the end of the year. If you look at a two-year perspective, most value ETFs or mutual funds are up 7%, and they have a more attractive price-to-earnings ratio. Growth is flat to slightly down over a two-year total return period. So even though growth crushed value last year, value hardly dropped compared to growth in 2022. So this is why you have to own both in your portfolio. If you only concentrate on one asset class, like large growth over time, you end up with more volatility. And even though I've, I've said this before, you could have two similar investments with with very similar average annual rates of return, but one that had less volatility and more consistent returns, which means sometimes it didn't perform as well in the good years, but it didn't drop as much in the bad. You could actually end up with more money. It's just a game of math. That's why you have to have it all in your portfolio. And don't get me wrong. I love tech and growth. I mean, this whole world is, you know, that's where we're moving. Science, technology, you bring that all together with healthcare. There's a lot of exciting things that can happen in the future. Also, small caps over large caps, just because we're still in this world of, this has been the longest run of large cap outperformance over small cap in a long, long time. And a lot of these companies are going to have to buy smaller, a lot of these big companies are going to have to buy smaller companies in order to get that same revenue growth. Um, so small over large, especially in the, the value area, um, a lot of investment advisors are looking for Potential to move more overseas because of valuations. Last year, international developed had a great year. Really, if you look at international developed versus the average stock in the S&P 500, not the Magnificent 7, but more like the equal weighted S&P 500, uh, international developed beat it. It was up like 18%. Emerging markets are only up around 8 or 9%. Um, and there's a lot of you know attractive valuations in terms of price to earnings ratio. However, you have to have a catalyst. And right now we got two wars going on and um, still a stronger dollar, but that's where everybody's eyeballing the opportunity. When's the opportunity to move a little bit more? Um, you're hearing a lot of talk about REITs, real estate investment trusts. Um, if you look back over a two-year period, so REITs had a great year-end rally, real estate investment trusts. And there's all sorts of different kinds. I think most people, when they hear, hear of the term REITs or real estate investment trusts, they, t- they think of office buildings and then they start to think about the five-day work week in office is dead. I don't think any of our employees work five days a week in office, um, usually a couple of days at home. And then you think about cities like San Francisco and Oakland and Portland, cities that were terribly won where nobody wants to be downtown. And so... Um, that's not all that REITs are. You have apartments, you have student housing, you have self-storage, you have industrial like buildings that you know house uh, for Amazon, for example, servers, cell phone towers. It's pretty broad when it comes to real estate investment trusts. Um, we also know that there's a lot of commercial buildings that have to be refinanced 
in the next you know couple of quarters. And so will banks be able to swallow that up? And will companies you know, still want to own that real estate once they're going to pay a, high, a lot higher rates on their loans? So REITs being down 16 to 17% since January 2022, people are eyeballing those now and say, okay, typically REITs go in the inverse direction of interest rates. So interest rates have been going up, REITs went down, made sense. So if rates are going to settle out, you have decent income, then then why not? Real estate investment trusts can also offer some, if you're investing with after-tax dollars, because real estate investment trusts, they own buildings. When you When you own a building and you make money by leasing it out, you have to, you get to take depreciation on the building and that helps offset the taxes of that income. So REITs can be pretty tax efficient if you have to invest with after-tax dollars. Um, you've got a lot of people retiring looking at that situation. So even if you look over a three-year period, a little longer, so January 9th, uh, 2021 to today, um, you know, total return of the S&P 500 is up 30%. REITs are still positive by, you know, I look at uh, like VNQ, Vanguard Real Estate Investment Trust ETF, up about 16.98% total return with dividends reinvested over that period of time. Um, so pretty pretty volatile ride when you look at both those charts. It's been a crazy three-year period, that's for sure. So another overall theme is that 60-40 is not dead. Remember a big story in 2022 and 2023 with rates being so low, really all the way back to 2020, is that the 60-40 is dead. You don't going into retirement, you don't want 60% stocks, 40% bonds because the bonds weren't paying anything. Well, now they are. And with interest rates leveling out and potentially going down, they could get a decent total return in bonds. So um the 60-40, still very attractive for retirees. And the way that I really like to set it up is that, okay, you've got, you know what your three years worth of portfolio draws are going to be. So your portfolio draws is, okay, here's all of my income needs or all of my expenses, including taxes and healthcare, minus social security, uh, dependable rental income, some dividends and interest. What's left over that you know you're going to have to draw from your cash bank accounts or from your portfolio growth? You want three years worth of that and save money. And then the rest of your portfolio, um, a lot of people go, and this is not a recommendation for you because I don't know you, but a lot of people go with that 60-40, 60% bonds, 40% stocks. Now, I like for retirees with $2 million or more invested, more of a 55% stocks, 5% alternatives, 40% bonds type of situation. So the alternatives could be uh, direct lending or, or private debt. Um, it could be... Uh, private real estate, a couple of other items. But it's definitely not dead. It is alive and well. Hi, this is Chad Burton. If you have questions about retirement and investing, it's time to get some answers. My website, chadburton.com, has a ton of resources. There are downloads to help you determine how long your money will last in retirement, links to our webinars, and several videos discussing everything from retirement planning to tax-efficient investing, estate planning, insurance, and even saving for your kid's college. While you're there, also check out our tax planning and estate planning services and our video explaining our online wealth management tool. You can find links to the podcast at chadburton.com and please like my Facebook page, New Focus on Wealth with Chad Burton. This invaluable resource is able to show the values and allocations of all your accounts regardless of where they're held. Information is updated each day at the end of market close and these new numbers are fed into the financial projections we've created for our clients with the goal of constant financial clarity. You can find links to the podcast at chadburton.com and please like my Facebook page, New Focus on Wealth with Chad Burton.
couple of safe money ideas for people in 2024. Um, this is especially, I've kind of talked about this little area where if people retire before they get on uh, uh, Medicare, which is age 65. So let's say you're an early retiree and you're dealing with covered California, you have assets, but your taxable income is relatively low. You can get a lot of premium tax credits. So if you have a lot of cash on the sidelines and you're trying to, to uh, you know, essentially keep taxable income low. If you want to defer the tax hit on your safe money investments that you have in the bank, because I know we can get 4 to 5% on FDIC insured money market accounts, and those rates will come down as the Fed's drop rates, if and when they do. Um, if you want to lock in some rates, you could buy 12-month T-bills, for example, right now. So you put the money in a T-bill, you can open those accounts at treasurydirect.gov. Um, if you own a living trust, make sure it's registered properly. But it's essentially you're you're buying something that the tax event doesn't happen until they mature. So you can actually say, okay, I want to put uh, money into T-bills and I want to earn interest on it, but I don't want to pay the taxes until next year. And by the way, when they do mature, you're not going to pay income taxes at the state level. So you can kind of do that analysis. Do you have a lot of cash sitting on the sidelines that you want to stay safe? You don't want to pay taxes on it this year. You need it liquid next year. Potentially look at the T bills. All right. Um, it's surprisingly, it, I, I still kind of get surprised when people don't know about what's called tradable money markets at places like Fidelity and Schwab. Um, so when we manage our clients' money for EP Wealth, our, our clients, it's their own accounts at TD Ameritrade, or well, it used to be TD Ameritrade that was bought by Schwab. So it's either Schwab or Fidelity. So it's, we're just, it's their accounts at those custodians. We're just signed on to be able to trade the accounts for them. And the default money market funds don't really pay a lot, but you can actually buy into money market funds by doing a, a free trade. Um, at Schwab, for example, there's one SNVXX, the seven-day yield. It's a government money market fund. The seven-day yield is 5.05%. What the seven-day yield means is that the interest that it was earned over the last seven days, if that's paid for the entire year, that's the yield. Now, those rates have come down already. So you're going to see the seven-day yields come down on these things. Uh, Fidelity has one FDRXX, for example, is at 5.14. And what's interesting is that you might need a certain amount of safe money inside your IRA accounts, for example. So let's say you know you're 75 years old and you have to take a required minimum distribution of $36,000 this year and you need it. You're going to spend that money, but you don't want to take it out right now. If you could park all that amount, so $36,000 worth in, in, in your Schwab IRA into SNVXX, and you could call Schwab and tell them, I want you to liquidate $3,000 per month to support your systematic withdrawals that you can set up from your IRA to your checking account. So it's basically like a planned redemption program, but it, it takes some work to do it. So if you have a ton of cash in your brokerage accounts that you know you need to spend at some point this year, um, and it's not earning much interest, then then you need to go on and pop on and look at some of these tradable money markets that you can buy into that are not the default, but you can just go on and take it from the cash account to these money market accounts. So keep that in mind. But I will tell you that those seven-day SEC yields are going to likely come down if the feds do start to drop rates. But so are the rates on your cash accounts. Um, 
So, okay. Another thing that I was going to talk about today uh, is estate planning changes. This has been a little bit of a hot topic just because we have elections coming up. And in 2017, Trump taxed a, a Trump passed a very uh, large change in the tax code that love him or hate him created a lot of advantages for retirees um, because a lot of it had to do with the higher standard deduction, um, the way capital gains work and a couple of other items. And so what people are realizing is that in 2026, all of these tax cuts are going to expire unless Congress, you know, continue ratifies it again, or basically passes something brand new. And so a lot's riding on elections for this. So what are some changes that already occurred this year when it comes to estate planning? So estate planning has to do with, if you're thinking about documents to help you, if you become incapacitated, where who's going to handle your affairs, that's the main goal of typically estate planning. You have a will, a trust, a power of attorney, and a healthcare directive. And then the next step is passing money onto your heirs with the least, the least amount of taxes as possible. And so when you have a large estate and you don't need all the money, you want to start gifting it to your loved ones, you can now gift up to $18,000 per person. So it went up from $17,000 to $18,000 per person that you can gift anybody you want without filing what's called a gift tax return. So a married couple could gift... 18 each to a child, 18 each to a grandchild. So 36,000 per person if, as a couple. And you can do that. You could gift to 100 people if you wanted to and not have to file a gift tax return. Okay. Now, if you gift more than that to a person and if you need to gift it for medical purposes or education purposes, as long as you pay the institution, like the hospital directly or the college directly, you still don't have to file a gift tax return. You can gift more than 18000 per person as long as it's not direct. So keep that in mind. But what happens when you gift more than $18,000 to a single individual? You have to file a gift tax return. What does that mean? Does that mean you pay taxes? No, it doesn't. All it is doing is keeping a ledger of how much you can pass on to your heirs without paying a federal estate tax. Now, as it sits, as we go into 2024, each person has the right to pass 13.61 million per person to their heirs. So a married couple, if they do their estate planning correctly, could pass 27.22 million to their heirs without any federal estate taxes. Okay. So when you gift over $18,000 per person, then, and you file a gift tax return, it's just taking off of that future amount of currently 13.61 million. So if you gift an extra million dollars out of your state to a single individual, you're going to file a gift tax return. And now instead of being able to pass 13.61 million, when you die, it's 12.61 million. You get it? So it's just a ledger kind of with the IRS. How much do you have left to give or how much do you have left to, to give to your kids when you die without paying any estate taxes? Now, the crazy thing is that in 2026, the amount drops from $13.61 million to $5 million, but adjusted for inflation since 2017. So most people think it's going to be around you know, seven, eight million bucks. And then that means 10 million per married couple index with inflation. So some people think around 14 to $16 million per couple. So that's that's a big one. And and you know, the estate tax is 
a total joke in my, I mean, the, the entire tax code, honestly, is a total joke. The amount of stuff that our advisors need to know, certified financial planners and your CPAs and, and how complicated our current tax code system is a joke. And, and in my opinion, an estate tax is a joke because why does the government get to take something that you created that you already paid taxes on? <laughs> but at the same time, they give our heirs a step up in basis. So you could buy your home for a million, for a hundred thousand dollars, right? And if you pass away with it and it's worth $5 million, your kids can turn around and sell that house completely tax-free. They get a step up in basis. So it's a trade-off, right? And really, if you want to get rid of the estate tax, eventually, you know, more of a flat tax system and a, in a, a no step up in basis system is probably what we're looking at some point in the future. Because this there's a massive lack of people coming out of college willing to do individual tax returns. This is a a huge problem in the tax industry finding people that want to be CPAs and enrolled agents that do individual tax returns, good luck. It is really difficult right now. And part of it is because the tax code is super complicated. And then you're asking CPAs and enrolled agents to work a massive amount of hours um, between now and April 15th, and then again in October, and then, you know, March. And it's just these lumpy, terrible hours. And the system is, is just overly complicated. Um, so the whole system does need an overhaul, but uh, I kind of digress on what I was going to talk about. <laughs> so um, I, a couple of interesting things that, you know, every two years you should be updating your estate plan and going through it. So when we have, uh, we have a whole estate planning department that when clients come in with, you know, existing wills and trusts, we create a presentation for them that this is exactly what your documents say. And um, here's what's interesting is, I've got a lot of clients that are really that care a lot for animals, for example. And so we were doing an estate plan review yesterday for a fairly wealthy lady. And um, she does a lot of rescue work with, with mostly dogs, but also cats. And when she had done her trust several years ago, um, she essentially said, whatever animal I have, here's who I want to have them be taken care of. And by the way, here's a thousand dollars per pet to take care of that pet. Well, she just uh, dealt with through the shelter that she works with an adopted dog and a dog that had to have a dental bill that was $2,500. So she's upping the amount that is left per animal that she happens to have at that time because $1,000 just isn't going to do it. So it's just little things like that, even that you, you got to sweat the small stuff when it comes to estate planning. What does your document say? Who do you want the money to go to? Do you want to have controls so that people don't overspend money when you pass away? We're talking a little bit about estate planning. The annual amounts that you can gift to a single person has been increased from 17000 to 18000 although you can exceed gifting to somebody without filing a gift tax return um, as long as the amounts have are directly to, uh, you know, like a medical facility or an educational facility. So if somebody you know got buried medical bills, for example, and you want to help them out, don't give them the money direct, pay the bill. Correct. That's a safer way to do it anyways, to make sure the money gets used. Uh, yeah, yeah, I've heard stories, horror stories about that, you know, fake uh, GoFundMe accounts and other things that people have set up. So always a little bit uh, wary of those types of things. Um, so let's say you're a married couple filing jointly um, and your, your estate's over these limits that I talked about. You know that coming 2026, you're going to be probably over 
you know, 10 to $14 million in net worth as a married couple that you're going to be leaving your kids. What are some other things that you could consider? Well, gifting, obviously. Um, what about trust that you can set up while you're alive? There's things called spousal lifetime access trusts that you can set up for a spouse where you have to take community property, separate it, and then give to these different trusts called spousal lifetime access trusts, where you can kind of freeze the value of the of the gift so that all future growth is really out of your estate. But you've got to make significant gifts to make these things work. So most people are kind of on hold in 2024. Uh, looking at the elections, but you got to be ready to go potentially in 2025. So make sure you've got your attorney picked out and who you're going to work with and kind of a, a basic idea of a plan. Other ones are uh, GSTs, Generation Skipping Trust, where you can set up trust for your kids while you're alive. And there's some fa- fancy tax planning that you can do where you still pay the taxes on those accounts and those trusts for the kids. But it, a lot goes into it and you got to do significant gifts to make them worthwhile. Um, when you gift into these things though, you're getting growth out of your estate, but you're often giving up the ability to do a step up in basis that I talked about a little bit earlier, where um, if you own a home or a rental property or stocks, if those pass to your kids directly, they get a step up in basis so they can sell it without taxes. But when that happens in a trust, they don't. They they inherit your basis. Um something to consider for people that own a lot of real estate is knowing what you're gonna do. When it comes to the real estate, uh, dealing with LLCs and gifting assets or selling real estate to one of these trusts that I've mentioned can be a really good strategy because as soon as you have real estate that's got multiple ownership, you can tend to take a discount on it where there's potential that you could gift a million dollars of real estate that you think is going to be worth a lot more in the future out of your estate, but only assume that you gifted 700,000, for example, on a gift tax return. So you consult an attorney and tax advisor when you do these things, obviously, and it can be complicated, but real estate can be very attractive for gifting to these types of trusts. Speaking of real estate, though, I, I, I mean, I, I continue to see situations where people did a great job accumulating a lot of real estate and really good rental properties because that was a really hot thing to do over the last decade as rates were low. As prices have come up, rent income has not kept up with that. And so I'm seeing a lot of people that are, when they look at either their the net income on their equity, or if they have no debt at all, just essentially the net income, your income minus your expenses I'm still seeing people that are accepting, you know, two or 3% net income on their rental properties. That is not acceptable to me unless you're in an area where the growth is way faster than the rest of the country, right? If I'm going to own in rental properties where I'm taking the risk as a landlord and dealing with all of those issues, I better be getting a return, a total return north of 7% pretty easily. So that means I typically want to have at least net income of 4 or 5% minimum on a rental property and then still have growth in the value and some tax benefits along the way. And I'm just seeing a lot of people that aren't. And so that's when you, if, if you're in that situation, it might be time to look at a 1031 exchange where you can sell that rental property, avoid paying taxes on it. Um, as long as you go into another property with the same or equal value, um, you can do multiple properties as well. Or if you're saying, I want to get out of the landlord business, you can go into things called DSTs, which can eventually 
V and a REIT, Diversified Real Estate Investment Trust, by way of a 721 exchange. So lots of info on that, but it's something that I want you to think about. It surprises me how many people have a whole bunch of rental properties, but they don't sit there and do a, a spreadsheet. They can look at their tax return and say, here's my income, here's my expenses, here's my depreciation, and this is what I'm paying taxes on. But if they do the math and say your net income, which does not include depreciation, um, that's your after-tax income, your, your net income, are you, are you getting a decent yield on the equity that you have in that house? If not, you might consider a change. And that's where a lot of people that are in real estate, it's a term that, it's, it's a term that comes from real estate that is swap till you drop. Right, you own a property, you own it for several years. You get kind of the gains that you want out of it. You get an increase in value. You start to not have as much depreciation, so you're paying a little bit more in taxes. So you, you swap into a bigger property that you might um, add some debt to, so you have more depreciation and more potential for income. So it's you're always building, always building, always building. And so that's you have to think about your real estate as a as a small business. Um, and they can be very lucrative, but look, you're taking more risk than the stock market. I mean, you, there's so many REITs, real estate investment trusts that you can buy on the stock market that are diversified real estate exposure that the yield is, you know, four to 7% right now. So if you're going to take a loan out, find a renter, go for the risk of somebody not paying their rent, damaging your property, maintenance, you know, getting calls for plumbing in the middle of the night, you better be getting a better rate of return than that. Right. The again, stocks will outperform real estate hands down over a 20 year period on a price basis. The way that real estate can keep up with stocks or exceed it is because of that leverage um, and the tax benefits. But it's a lot of work, a lot of risk. So you better be getting paid for that. So analyze your rental properties, uh, you know, as you go into 2024, see what you need to do there. If you have a money question, you want to see how that fits into your financial plan how you should be investing tax situations, how to create a distribution plan in retirement. Just find me at chadburton.com. That's chadburton.com. You can find all the links to social media, the podcast, especially. Thanks for listening. Please tell a friend about the show. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.